tonight we conclude our series on what John Calvin called the duplex gratia, or double grace of justification and sanctification. Uh, These are both, Calvin says, a work of God and the grace that he gives in our salvation. Uh, But while justification and sanctification are separate things, I, I think we've tried to make clear in this series that they are nonetheless inseparable things. One must naturally lead into the other. Uh, And so to see that tonight, our main scripture, although we're going to look at a number of scriptures, our main scripture is going to be uh, from the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi uh, in chapter 3, verses 7 through 16. Now just to set the scene, We're picking up in the middle of Paul, trying to explain righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ and its incomprehensible value. But we're also going to see that righteousness through faith in Christ, which is what we sort of normally mean when we talk about justification, leads directly into Paul talking about seeking and straining towards the goal of the prize. Or in other words, he makes a direct link between justification and his efforts for sanctification. So, that being said, please stand uh, in honor of the reading of God's word. and Let's hear from uh, Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. Paul writes, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ." the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All men are but dust, the grass falls, and the wither, and the flower falls, uh, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move our hearts, see the incredible gift that you have given us, and seeing the value of what you've given us, move us to see the value, and so strive toward you in personal growth. We ask you to do this in and through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's hard to stay motivated if you don't start motivated. 
That's my brilliance that I said to Mike the other day. It's hard to stay motivated if you don't, it's hard to stay motivated if you don't start motivated. Uh, One of the reasons that a lot of Christians uh, only half-heartedly pursue holiness is because they don't ever get motivated. We, We just don't see the worth of sanctification. And that's for all sorts of reasons that I'm not going to go into. But when we don't see the benefits that sanctification brings personally and publicly, let's face it, we're pragmatists. So not seeing the worth of it, we just don't mess with it. So I guess tonight, in order to end our series, I'm going to give a motivational speech. God help us all. <laughs> but hopefully this is a biblical motivation, motivational speech about why sanctification is worthwhile. And so uh, rather than looking at the process of growing in Christ, it's actually what we've been talking about the last few uh, sermons, tonight we're just going to look at the worth and the benefits of sanctification. Uh, to see what sanctification bestows upon us. Uh, And it is something that is bestowed upon us, uh, as we'll talk about. But as we look at sanctification, we're going to break the worth and benefits into three categories. Uh, The first category is that our sanctification pleases God. Second, our sanctification contributes to the church and society in general. And third, and at least Caitlin uh, messaged me a while ago because we were talking about the sermon and said, is it wrong that the third one is the one that motivates me the most? To which I said, you know what? God is pleased. (laughs) And so our third category is uh, sanctification actually gives us personal joy. So let's start with our sanctification pleases God. Now, the letter of Philippians as a whole is sometimes called the epistle of joy because all throughout this epistle, uh, Paul comes time and again to the joy that believers can have in Christ and the joy that believers give to God. Uh, And in verse 7, Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, Christ was worth more than anything else I have. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That's really strong language. That's all I'll say. But Paul says he is doing this for Jesus, for his Savior. He wants to delight his God because he understands what his God has done for him and how much his God delights in him. Paul understands the justification truth, that he has no righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but rather he has a righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's the gift that's been given him, and that's the gift that drives him towards sanctification. This is where justification and sanctification kiss, 
And, and fair warning, I'm going to make this point three times in three different ways in this sermon because it's that important. Our, but our justification is above all our motivation for pleasing God. Um, this is an odd but beautiful reality of the gospel, really. Only peop- the only people that can please God are people that are already pleasing to God because God made them pleasing to himself by covering them in the pleasing righteousness of Christ. Right, so the only people that can please God are those who are already pleasing to God because God covered them in the pleasing righteousness of Christ. So we actually don't please God in and of ourselves. But this is actually glorious gospel logic that takes a lot of burden off of us in some ways, making Jesus' yoke easy and his burden light as we go straining towards sanctification. And this is why... uh, Calvin says, in that quote we've used every week, that justification and sanctification are both a result of God's work. Writing, because we've got to read this paragraph one last time for this series, Christ is given to us by the kindness of God and apprehended and possessed by faith, by means of which we obtain, in particular, a twofold benefit, or our Latin phrase, duplex gratia. First, being reconciled by the righteousness of Christ, God becomes, instead of a judge, an indulgent father. And secondly, being sanctified by his spirit, we aspire to integrity and purity of life. So, we are in and of ourselves displeasing to God because of our sin. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But more than that, he also lived for us. Much more shall we be saved by his life. Now we who have faith in Jesus Christ are pleasing to God because we who have faith in him get credit for Jesus' perfect and sinful, uh, sinless, almost committed heresy there. We get credit for Jesus' perfect and sinless life. Right, So that's what I mean by God is already pleased with us by his own grace. And so now, out of thankfulness and gratitude for our justification, for our being made right with God, we seek sanctification not to get right, of, not to get right with God, but just out of gladness that any good thing we do, by God's grace, pleases him. <laughs> In other words... We love because he first loved us. (laughs) Thus, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, we, uh, I have it written here, uh, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Keep going for this sanctification. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. If you've ever wondered, what is God's will for my life? There it is. Your sanctification. 
Uh, And then Paul goes on to talk about some specific sins happening there at Thessalonica, and then says, whoever disregards sanctification disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So we seek sanctification to please God because to neglect sanctification is to insult the lover of our souls. We seek sanctification to please God because to neglect sanctification is to insult the lover of our souls. And I just, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be in some measure genuine, and even that is God's gift. Think of it this way. In movies, when the hero has saved someone's life, someone always says something like, how can I ever repay you? And the answer is, of course, they can't. You you can't repay someone for saving your life. To be honest, it's just a turn of phrase we use. How can I ever repay you? Uh, uh, If we're thinking clearly at all, we don't actually think we can repay someone for saving our life, but we appreciate what they did. And out of love for the person who saved us, it would delight us, make us glad to serve the one who saved us in any little way. How much more the true hero, the one who actually gave up more than we can imagine to not only save our lives, but to save us from the fires of hell and give us eternal life. Which gives me a fun caveat. I'm not going to go on some big apologetic for the existence of hell, but I actually want to say this logic I'm talking about, we want to please God because he saved us from hell, is a way for you to share your faith. Yes, there is a right time to talk to unbelievers about hell. But I'm going to suggest that at least in our current climate, in our current climate, you guys realize I mean that in our current cultural context, this is a particular strategy. You guys understand that? Okay. In our current cultural climate, the best way to at least start talking about hell is by talking about how I deserve to go there. I believe that I, if God were to give me exactly what I deserve, would, be, would die and go to hell right now. That's who I am. That's what I deserve. That's what I've done. And so someone may object to your faith and say, I don't believe in all that hell stuff. But at least you can say to them, but if you believed what I did, wouldn't you love this person? So, so it's, it's not so much that you're convincing someone of hell or convincing someone Jesus is Savior as you're giving them an understanding of why you love Jesus so much. And that's a good place to start a lot of evangelism by just getting someone to even understand why you love this person that they don't necessarily believe in. Uh, And it really makes them confused because then they'll start going, you believe you deserve to go to hell? And that opens up lots of great conversations. But isn't it a joy to know that despite our deserving to go to hell, you are pleasing to your indulgent Father in heaven who has given you everything already? Isn't that, doesn't that make you feel good? 
the way reformed people, it's okay to feel good about things. I said it. All right. All that being said, there are more reasons to value sanctification. There is worth in sanctification because of both benefits to others and benefits to yourself. So first, let's look at the benefits to others. Someone might object immediately. No, 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 wait, stop, Wes. We just need to obey God out of love for him. Well, yes, that that is true. I I actually agree with that statement. Uh, But if we, and let me say this, right? This is a good way to tell how you're doing spiritual health-wise. If we're seeking to please God just to get out of hell or get anything else out of God, we don't really love him. We don't understand our justification yet. Rather, we are doing stuff out of love for ourselves, out of self-preservation, or out of the object of our desire that we want God to give us. And so a good litmus test is to see what, uh, to see what the idols of your heart are by asking what, if God didn't give it to me, would make me doubt his goodness and love for me. And whatever you name, that's an idol of your heart, something you value more than God. If our obedience is for mere self-preservation or to gain goodies from God, our obedience is selfish and self-centered. It's loving ourselves and not God. Therefore, that brings us right back around to justification, The only way we can truly love God is if we first know we have nothing that we could give to him that would make him owe us anything, and that everything we do have is undeserved and by grace. And when you start to get that, that then fuels enjoying pleasing God as a response to what he's done for us. So having clarified what I'm saying, I'm sure it's as clear as mud, Someone has said, there is value in using every possible means to motivate towards godliness because sometimes it's better to do the right thing and move towards the right motivation rather than to never do the right thing at all. Uh, And the Bible affirms that our sanctification does have benefits for the church, society, and ourselves. So that's why I'm going down uh, this road. So let's talk about the worth of sanctification for others, both in church and society, in witness and in our service. First, our sanctification contributes to church and society because our sanctification is a witness to the watching world. Uh, Earlier in the book of Philippians, Paul wrote that the Christian's obedience was to make them blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Right, so he's saying, as you grow in sanctification, the world sees that. And the apostle Peter agrees. We've been hearing this in our morning series. So I got to bring it in so you can see it's all connected. Uh, And we're going to continue hearing how our holiness contributes to our witness. When Peter writes, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then, writing very specifically of unbelieving family, which is very personal to me. Uh, He's actually writing about wives and husbands, but I think there's a larger principle here. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. In all three of those passages from 1 Peter, Peter is saying as you grow in sanctification, you actually provide a witness that will win some to Christ. The church grows as the world sees us. And some ask for a reason for the hope that is in us. And we, prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for that reason, tell us about the hope that is in us. And we do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience because of our sanctification. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And then that discouraging moment happens when you think about your life and you go, yeah, this all sounds real good, but uh, I just really thought my sanctification would be further along than it is right now. And so this sermon's making me a little bit ashamed rather than encouraged. I got that. Well, let me encourage you this way. When that happens, I want you to stop looking at yourself. I want you to look at Jesus. I think it was Robert Murray McChain that said, for every one look at yourself, take ten looks at Jesus. Because whenever you get discouraged by your sanctification, for every failure of sanctification, you can turn right around and look at your justification. Look at the fact that you are forgiven for every failure of sanctification. Know that your indulgent Father loves you and delights, delights to use, yes, even your wayward attempts to follow Jesus. And you can say, yeah, thank God that he seems to enjoy using broken people who thought they'd be better than this by now. Basically what I'm saying is, don't let your lack of sanctification demotivate you from sanctification. Let your lack of sanctification drive you to Jesus, see how much God loves you anyway, and that will actually comfort your heart so that sanctification can become a joy instead of a burden. Sometimes our knowledge that we're not as good as we thought is actually its own sanctification. Because the world sees us become humble. And that is its own witness when you start telling people, you, I, deserve to go to hell. And Paul is right there with us. Right right here in this passage in Philippians 3, he says, listen guys, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because of God's love, because of all this Stuff I've said, right? I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He knows that it's not about him and what he can do. It's about what God has done to make him his own in Christ Jesus. 
So he says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, forgetting what lies behind. There's a good time for introspection. I spend a lot of time helping people do introspection, but you know what? Sometimes you just need to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. (laughs) I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Most of the letters of the New Testament are a result of sanctification not being where it needed to be yet. Right, So the sanctification of the church was a result of sanctification not being where it needed to be yet. God has fantastic grace-filled logic in how he works in our lives, okay? And this means, A, you'll never be tempted to boast in yourself, but only in Christ. But it also means that wherever you go, I'm not where I ought to be, you can know you're being protected from self-righteousness, if nothing else. (laughs) You know, we can't think that it's us that's so amazing, but we can always be amazed that God delights to use us and to make, and that should make us glad to try all the more just for the joy of seeing what God can do with our feeble efforts in our communities, in our cities, in our churches. Because as we do grow in sanctification, our witness does grow in service to church and society. Now, when I say service, I, I'm, I'm using that really broadly, okay? Uh, I'm not just talking about diaconia, that is the sort of service that deacons or ministers do. I mean every kind of service. I, I mean that each of us actually become more effective in all that we do in life, whether it's in our vocations or in exercising uh, gifts within the church, teaching, leadership, generosity, acts of mercy, helping, administrating, just to name some. But sanctification is whole person improvement. This is, this is a biblical personal self-improvement, okay? That is a thing. Sanctification is improvement of character as we know Christ more deeply. And that means that all we do gets affected by that more godly character. And so our godly character works itself out into every single part of our lives. Thus, Paul's instructions after he's told them how to be holy and why to be holy sort of ends on what could be a flat note if you don't understand that sanctification is whole life personal growth. Paul says to the Thessalonians now, love one another and aspire to live quietly. And mind your own affairs, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. In other words, it's Jeremiah 29, something else we've been looking at in First Peter. <laughs> you like the way I'm making those connections? Mike likes the way I'm making those connections. Right? So we, we therefore, our sanctification causes us to contribute to our city and our community. Uh, and that is a beautiful thing. Finally, the worth of sanctification comes in personal benefits to us, particularly the benefit of personal joy. If if those other two things don't motivate you, we all want to be happy, right? God, you're yes. You want to be happy, or you have problems. 
All right, so um, the worth of sanctification comes because of the benefit of personal joy. Now, when, when we start using words like sanctification and holiness, I don't think joy is where a lot of people's minds go. But that's because we've messed this up, okay? As Jerry Bridges puts it, God intends the Christian life to be a life of joy, not drudgery. The idea that holiness is associated with a dour disposition is a caricature of the worst sort. In fact, just the opposite is true. Only those who walk in holiness experience true joy. Only those who are obedient, who are pursuing holiness, which is a synonym for sanctification. Only those who are obedient, who are pursuing sanctification as a way of life, will know that joy comes from God. Right? This is why when David is repenting of his sins in Psalm 51, uh, when he gets to verse 12, he says, O oh Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Even David recognizes that joy should be both a product and a motivator of, what, of, of his repentance. There is a realization that to embrace salvation and the joy of salvation is to become willing to obey. Or in other words, obedience and sanctification themselves bring joy, personal joy to the Christian life. So joy not only results from a holy life, but there is also a sense in which joy helps produce a holy life. It's a nexus of both and, not either or. Again, Jerry Bridges says it clearly, so I'm just going to quote him at length again. The daily experience of Christ's love is linked to our obedience to him. That is our sanctification. It's not that his love is conditioned on our obedience. That would be legalism. But our experience of his love is dependent on our obedience. So, why does sanctification give joy? Well, let me come at this from another angle, all right? Westminster Shorter Catechism number 36 says, The benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and perseverance therein to the end. Now, I'm not going to repeat that sermon because we already preached that one. You can find that on Sermon Audio. But I want to add a little bit more to this catechism because we're allowed to add to the catechisms. Okay? (laughs) Uh, Sanctification produces joy uh, because it assures us of our justification. It lets us know Jesus better and enjoy him more. It helps us find healing in our lives. It brings us into our full intended humanity. And it gives anticipation of reward. That's a pretty great list. That makes me pretty excited. I like my list. It motivates me. So, I just want to walk through this list, okay? First, sanctification assures you of justification. This is what you might call the experiential part of salvation. All right, right, 
This is a total freebie. I used a theology trick on you guys. So this outline, the, the it pleases God, it uh, contributes to uh, church and society, and it gives you personal joy, is John Frame's triperspectivalism. That's fun, right? His idea is that everything can be analyzed from three aspects. And he makes this long argument about the Trinity that's fascinating because he's smarter than all of us. But basically there's the normative aspect, the way things are supposed to be, the situational aspect, how things are, and then the existential aspect, sort of our own personal perception of things. Right? So our sanctification pleases God. That's how it's supposed to be. Our sanctification contributes to church and society. That's just true. It really does have this benefit to reality. And sanctification gives us personal joy. I just wanted to brag on my preacher trick. There you go. So, sanctification assures you of justification. This is what you might call the experiential part of salvation, as I just explained. Though no true believer can ever be lost, we can certainly at times wonder if we really know Jesus. If, if, if you've never committed some sin that made you go, do I really know Jesus? Your day is coming, but most of y'all are older than I am, so I'm guessing you've already had that experience. But there's a reason that Paul earlier had the same Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and then give this assurance, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And there's a reason that Paul had to uh, write, or sorry, rather, Peter had to write in Second Peter, so we'll get there later. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, right? You, you may not be totally sure in it. So you got to work through sanctification. He just gave this big, long list of ways we're supposed to be growing. Uh, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more about sort of what that means when we get there. But this, all these passages was what got put together when the Westminster Divines uh, wrote in the Westminster Confession. And if you want to pull out the red hymnal, you can, on page 858, uh, chapter 13, sections 2 and 3, uh, and then I'm going to skip over to chapter 18. This, excuse me, this sanctification is throughout, in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life. All right, so they're saying sanctification isn't all it's supposed to be in this life. There abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part. Whence arises a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. In which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength, from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part does overcome. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And then over in chapter 18, uh, the divines wrote, it is the duty, so, so they've talked about uh, 
the fact that our sanctification is working itself out in our lives, but is not perfect. But then they also come around and say, and they basically quote 2 Peter 1 verse 10, it is the duty of every one, every Christian, to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. In other words, sanctification makes us assured that we're saved. Sanctification plays a role in assuring us of our justification. So now, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience, the proper fruits of this assurance, so far it is from inclining men to looseness. In other words, the more sanctification we see in our lives, the more we're assured of our justification. The more we're assured of our justification, the more we're motivated to seek sanctification in our lives, and round and round the cycle of motivation goes. All right. Second, sanctification is and results in more intimacy with the lover of your soul. That's just a relational fact. And this is really what Jerry Bridges was getting at. In any normal relationship, when we are doing things that please our friend or our spouse or whoever, there's more closeness. There's more intimacy. There's more enjoyment of the relationship. That's not legalism. That's just how relationships work. And we have a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus our Savior. I want to be careful here, because I could be misheard, I have been misheard, as saying that we're therefore trying to get something out of God, and that we're doing self-sanctification and saviorless holiness in order to get this good, right? But that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is just how relationships work. It's, it's actually not as complicated as it sounds when I run it through all those convoluted grids. This is just how friendship works, and what a friend we have in Jesus. Things work better experientially when we're doing things that please one another. Therefore, we have more intimacy with Jesus when we're seeking to obey God. And therefore, we have more joy. Third, sanctification brings healing to our lives. Now, this could be its own sermon. So I'm just going to say this. As we forgive others, there is healing in our lives. As we leave behind vices and sins, we're going to find that life works better. And fourth and closely related, sanctification is really just you becoming who you were always meant to be anyway. And I'll just tell you, for my generation, that phrase, becoming who you were meant to be, speaks loudly. Right? In our world, uh, my generation is told we're supposed to find ourselves, become our best selves, find out who we're meant to be. And that's exactly what sanctification is. Right? Uh, we, we are growing into godliness. We're growing into knowing Christ. We're growing into holiness. And therefore, we're becoming who God made us to be. So there you go. If you want to motivate a millennial towards sanctification, tell them, do you want to be, do you want to be all that you can be? Isn't that the army slogan? Something like, well, follow Jesus and seek sanctification. Because as we're sanctified, we lose the tensions between sin and holiness. And as sin is repented of, we live the way we were always made to live. And fifth and finally, sanctification brings reward. 
because of grace and forgiveness, at the final judgment, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 is very clear, there will, while we will be fully acknowledged and acquitted, declared innocent and loved before the judgment seat, there will nonetheless be punishment and reward. And I don't fully know what that means. Mike preached on that a few years back, so go listen to his sermon on that. But the New Testament is clear. There is reward to be excited about that comes after the final judgment, even for our feeble, unworthy, yet sanctified acts. So be excited to seek sanctification because God wants to reward you. God is not waiting for you to, to, to mess it up. God is not sitting there saying, what can, I, what, what can I take away from Chris? What can I take away from Mike? What can I take a, away from Di? Right? He, he's not waiting to take away things. He's watching and he's delighting to reward our good works because we're his children in Christ. And yet, this may bring someone to ask yet again, but what if my lack of sanctification is causing me to doubt all this salvation you're talking about? Remember, duplex gratia comes full circle. When you reach that place where your sanctification makes you doubt your justification, go back to justification. Look at Jesus time and time again. Run to Jesus. Because who makes you worthy for God? You and your sanctification? The answer is no. Jesus makes us worthy. Justification has to come first. Justification leads to sanctification, not the other way around. Only Jesus makes us right with God. And Jesus promises that those who put their faith in him and follow him will be forgiven. When your lack of sanctification causes you to doubt, just start this sermon series over again and delight in your justification. And let that reassure you and then lead you back to sanctification. The, the, the joy that holiness brings is what the Holy Spirit is doing in you because you already belong to Jesus. And the worth of sanctification is that sanctification is both a producer and a product of joy in our justification in Jesus Christ. And this is just a mirror of Jesus himself. Right? The, in the letter to the Hebrews... Uh, the writer wrote, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. For us, we seek sanctification to have joy. For Jesus He took our sin so that he could have us as his joy. (laughs) That, my friends, is why sanctification is good news. The duplex gratia, justification and sanctification, is good news. That justification has made God your indulgent father so that you have the freedom to walk in sanctification. I hope that's motivating Let's pray. Oh, Father, my words are weak, but your spirit is strong. Would you indeed show us Jesus more clearly? Would you indeed let us see the author and perfecter of our faith for how great he is for all that he has done for us? And may that indeed motivate us. And by your Holy Spirit, would you renew us 
so that we may more and more, day by day, walk in holiness for your glory. May we be enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness because of what Jesus has done for us. And may our sanctification please you. Oh Lord, we want to please you because we love you. And we love you because you loved us first, in and through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.